dig around in here and see what we can find out. <clears throat> I got a few things I think will be uh, will minister to you tonight as we get in here that you'll uh, have something to chew on and think about and apply to your own life. So <clears throat> we're thankful for the Lord. We're thankful for all of you guys that are watching us and join us. We're live now, so let's pray and invite God to help the preacher tonight. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your long-suffering. We thank you for your patience. Thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everything you do. Every good and perfect gift has come from you, Lord. May we remember that every day of our lives, at every good. And we thankful, Lord, that you've not forsaken us, that you said you never would. You'd be with us until the end. We give you praise for that. Lord, as we study tonight, help us to learn of you. Help us to see your work and how you work in and out of our lives and who you are. And may we be more like you when we leave here tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said... All right, let's go to Job chapter 11 and see what Zophar has got to say. Uh, <clears throat> so Zophar is going to shoot some. He's going to urge Job to repent. Uh, and I want you to understand something. The Bible's not written yet when all this is going on. Not even... Not even the Old Testament. Now that should get you to thinking here. These, that God has never been too far away from anybody. He's not hiding himself. He's been revealing himself the whole time. God, why would God do that? Why would God reveal himself? Because it's not his will that any perish, but that all would get, find repentance and make it to heaven. That's God's plan. God wants all of us to follow Him and to repent and be a part of His family. So when you think in the context that the Bible's not been written when all this is taking place, none of these guys know the conversation that's been had between God and Satan at the point that they're going through all this. Well, Job's going through it and they're there to kind of... Uh, witness it. So think about it in that context and how skilled these guys are, all the understanding they have. We act like uh, this is the world, this is not God and His Word. The world acts like everybody run around in a deer skin with a club back in the day and didn't know how to speak or talk or write. Or communicate. That's not true. That's the world's idea. God made man in his image. So man is the highest form of God's intellect. And I do think we lost a lot of that in the fall. When Adam and Eve fell. <clears throat> but we're a high, the highest order of God's creation. Uh, God didn't evolve us over time. He, can, he knows how to make us in his image. Uh, so God did that, and so these guys are not only highly intelligent, you're going to hear that out of their thinking, but they're good communicators, and they all know who God is. Now, they don't all know what's going on, right? And that's why they, are, they shouldn't be judging Him, right? And the Bible gives us instruction about that in the New Testament as well. So let's listen to what he's got to say, and then Job's going to jump back in, and we'll... Uh, look at a few things in the other parts of the scripture, uh, I think, that will help us. Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should not the multitude of the words be answered? Should a man full of talk be vindicated? So he's taking a shot at Job. Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should, you, should no one rebuke you? For you have said, My doctrine is pure. Now, Job's trying to figure out what's wrong with him. We ought to give him credit for that. He's trying to figure out where did I go wrong? What have I done that's caused God to kind of abandon me or, or not help me, allow me to be in this spot? He said, uh, so now they're, they're taking shots at Job, right? They're taking shots at Job. They mean well, probably. Uh, but he says, for you said... Your, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you. 
that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Now that's a good statement. That is true. God does exact from us less than what we deserve. You may be sitting here tonight, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, for us to not think more highly of ourselves than we should, right? The Bible says also that him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. There's humility in all that, right? Then God says, if you see a brother in a fault, you which are spiritual, uh, go to him, uh, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So you got lots of scripture for us not to judge, for us not to be proud in any kind of way. But let me take you to Psalm 103. Hold your spot there. We'll run right back to Job. It's the next book over after Job here. In Psalm 103, look at verse uh, 10 in Psalm 103. And this is what Zophar said. Zophar said, uh, uh, For God has, has not, know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. So he says in verse 10 of 103 of Psalm, he says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Now, I think I shared this in a different setting. But if I shared it here, forgive me. I've shared it here, I'm sure, before. Mercy, in the book of James, the Bible says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, judgment is what we should have received. All of our sin, being born into sin... That should have been punished or judged. But God in His love decided to extend us mercy. And so through His Son's sacrifice, through the work of Jesus Christ, God says, I'll forgive you. Instead of judging you, I will forgive you if you will believe upon my Son. Right? So when we do that, we are forgiven. We don't have to be judged or punished for our sin because Jesus has taken that sin off of us. In fact, He's taken it off the whole world. The whole sins of the whole world were laid on Him. But here's the dilemma. If people do not receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, if they do not repent, then they will be judged someday for their sin. That's the only way. I saw a little caption today. This is how far we've gone about the people in Hawaii, right, that are facing all that. They said, and here's how far we've come in this world and in our country. They said, whatever you believe in, we need it now. In other words, if you believe in something other than God, right, whatever. See how far we've come in this culture that now we've, we've got a lot of pantheism, I guess you'd call it, Around the globe. So now turn on over to Psalm 130 and let's see another thing. I think David's the one that's used to pin this down. He tells us in Psalm 130, uh, and I'm going to come back to mercy, triumph, and over judgment here in a minute. Psalm 130, verse 3 If, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? None of us. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So if God dealt with us according to our sin, we wouldn't make it. But He's given us forgiveness through the mercy of His Son. Uh, and, and so Jesus, His mercy triumphs over our judgment if we will receive His mercy through repentance and accepting Him as our Savior. I'm pretty sure I shared this somewhere else lately, but it illustrates what I want to say here. Uh, the Early on when America was formed, there was little villages, colonies, whatever you want to call it, little townships, I guess is the word I want to look for. And in this particular township, it's a true story, in this particular township, somebody was being stolen from regularly. There was a thief in this small town. So they, they went to the mayor. They had had a mayor at this point, and they said, we need to do something about it. He said, we'll put the stocks out in the middle of the town, and when we catch them, we'll lock them up and put the whip to them, teach them a lesson. 
And so a few days later, they came in and said, we caught the thief. And he said, well, good, let's go lock them in the stocks. And, and they said, well, we got a problem. He said, what's the problem? They said, it's your mother. Wow. True story. And so <clears throat> he said, well, I can't be, show nepotism or favoritism. So he said, we're going to have to lock my mom in those stocks and take the whip across her back. Now you think about a dilemma for this son, the mayor, to have him to save face, basically, and do what's right. He can't show favoritism. And the story, as they go through this story, the story ends like this. They lock his mother in those stocks, and the guy who's going to do the whip draws back to lay the whip on his mother's back, and just before he lays the whip down, the mayor lays across his mother's back and takes her stripes for her. Now that's mercy. Now, I love my mother. But she ought not be stealing from everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is somebody who deserved the punishment didn't get it, right? Now, what's that sound like? That sounds like mercy triumphing over judgment. That's what's happened to you and I. We should have been the ones nailed to that tree. Should have been you, should have been me. Shouldn't have been Jesus. He didn't have any sin. What a story. What an what a illustration of how mercy triumphs over judgment with this guy taking his mother's stripes for her. So back in Job, he says, God's dealt with you less than you deserve. The answer to that is true. But that's really not what's going on here. <clears throat> but it's, it's a true statement. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. <clears throat> what can you do? These guys are good theologians. And I just simply mean they know about God. Now, I want you to think how outstanding that is. These guys know who God is, thoroughly know who God is, and there's not one page of the Bible written at this time. Not in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Not Genesis, not anything. And these guys, we don't have an excuse not to get close to God and know who He is. Look what all we have in front of us now. He's left us some, but these guys didn't have that. And they're still understand who God is. They're still bragging on God. They are higher than the heaven, deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth, broader than the sea. If He passes by in prisons and gathers to judgment, then who can hinder Him? For he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Uh, will he not then consider it? He, they're, they're telling us who God is. They're giving us biblical understanding of who God is, even though the Bible's not been written. Now, if you want to know God, you can know Him. God will not leave one stone on to unturned to get to any of us if we desire to know who He is. It doesn't matter if you're in the far jungles of South America, wherever you're at. God will come to you if you desire to know Him. And He says, if, uh, he says uh, he, for an empty-headed man <laughs> will be wise when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. <clears throat> That's kind of a preposterous statement, right? Uh, if you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward Him, if iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear because you would not forget your misery. Because you would forget your misery and remember it as waters that have passed away. And your life would be brighter than noonday. Basically, he's encouraging him to repent. <clears throat> and Job would if he knew what he needed to repent from. Now let me ask you another question. Some of the hardest times to keep going in the middle of a trial is when God's not talking. Anybody ever been there? Been in the middle of a trial and God seems to be silent. Sometimes that happens. 
The other thing is we don't get to pick our trials, do we? Have you noticed that? God sets them up. Now, I'm not talking about stuff, hardship we bring in our lives by being stupid. <laughs> Has anybody ever been stupid besides me? But I'm talking about the trials that God sets up for our faith to be tried. You know what he said? He said, if it's impossible to please God without faith, and we know that's what the Bible says, there's nothing you possess that's more important than your faith. Not anything. So God says, if that's the most important thing in pleasing Him, then He spends time working on that. The Bible says the trying of our faith is more precious than gold. And for all of us that are getting older, if the wisdom or the so-called wisdom you have gained is interfering with your faith at this point in life, that wisdom's not from God. God don't give wisdom that interferes with faith. God gives wisdom that complements faith. But if you've got wisdom, now, and let me show you how that works. Wisdom would say, why would I build an ark as big as a football field when it's never rained before? That's what wisdom would say. But faith would say, I'm going to do what you said. Now, you'll probably hear some of this soon about a little more about block and linear logic, which is what I preached Sunday night, how the Jews were trained versus us Westerners. Wisdom would say, build a boat as big as a football field with one door and one window. And what's rain anyway? And I've told you this lately, Noah's becoming... One of my most favorite guys because I'm thinking after 66 years sitting that morning before he went to work having his cup of coffee with his wife thinking man and we think we have to hang in there. We, we get tired when we try to hang in there six weeks and Noah's what, 89 years he's done went through 15 coffee pots probably. Waiting on God. Some of the hardest times is to get that first word too that sets you into motion, into that path, and then not get another one and not be tempted to start filling in the blanks yourself. Now, remember this. If God only gives you half of a sentence, do not finish it. That's not a good idea. Ask me how I know. <laughs> He'll come back. He'll finish the rest of that thought when it's time. Just keep walking. Just keep following Him. We need to learn how to be good servants to the Lord. We do. We need to take Him at His word and just say, Hey, whatever you say is what I'm going to do. I don't have to see it all line up. I don't have to hear nothing else at this moment. Go on the last word you heard until he speaks again. And think about how important it is to hear when he does talk. See, if you, don't, if you get frustrated on the journey or get mad at God because he's not showing up as much as you think he should or speaking as much, that'll cause you to miss the next word. How important was it for Abraham to hear God the second time? First time he said, take your son up there and sacrifice him. The second time he spoke, he said, don't do it. Now if Abraham would have been all flustered and mad about it, he might not have heard that. I can't believe God's asking me to sacrifice my son. <clears throat> There's a deeper concept going on there than our son. What Abraham was doing by taking his son up there in obedience was recognizing that his son belonged to God before he belonged to him. And a lot of people 
feel that feel like they own their stuff before God does. And we wouldn't have anything if it weren't for God. So Abraham's going up in faith. I love what the Bible says about him in Hebrews. He said, uh, <clears throat> and of course this is prophetic, but he said, Isaac says, okay, got all the wood and stuff. Where's the lamb? <laughs> and Abraham by faith says, God himself will provide a lamb. And he knows, see that's the day. I can feel this. I might start preaching. That was the day that he had the revelation of Jehovah Jireh. Now listen. We sing that. We talk about it. And we say it real casual like. We say Jehovah Jireh my provider. That's too casual. Here's how it, here's how it says it in the Hebrew. Jehovah Jireh. His Provision shall be seen. Matter of fact. So Abraham was going up that mountain. And the Bible in Hebrews tells us that he knew that if he had to slay his son, God would raise him from the dead. Because God can't lie. And he said, I'm raising your family up through this seed. Now are we there? Is that the kind of faith we have? Or have we got so wise over the years that when God speaks, well, that don't look too good to me. I mean, notice that God does stuff that makes you brain mad. That soulish rim gets in the way. Can you imagine you're Gideon, you're standing there and you're thinking, nah, we got about 28,000, give or take. They've got 120 or 30,000. We're tough, so maybe we can handle this. Then God comes in and says, tell everybody it's a scaredy cat to get to the house. I can't use them. And if you'll notice, in Revelation, one of those people, one of the titles for people in the lake of fire are those who are fearful. Why? Because fear is the opposite of faith. Now, we're all going to be faced with fear, and we may succumb to it from time to time. But we can't live our lives like that and say that we serve the Almighty God. We can't live our lives that way. And then the next thing, now I can see Gideon's probably feeling pretty bad. Right? Then God takes him down to the water, and he winds up with 300 guys. Now, wisdom says... You're in trouble. Earthly wisdom does. But faith says, God said, and it steps into it. So when you're in a moment, when you're in a season of trial, and God's not talking, you keep walking. Because God will show up. He said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. Can you say amen? Because you would forget your misery, he's telling him, hey, you ought to repent and get this stuff off of you. But he don't know what to repent, right? He said, your life would be brighter than the noonday. Verse 18 says, and you would be secure because there is hope. Yes, you would dig around you and take your rest and safety. You would also lie down and no one would make you afraid. Now, all the troubles happen. So Zophar is not totally running over Job. He's, they're, they're at a disadvantage too. They cannot believe a guy who would be as tight with God would get obliterated. And let's be honest, that would bother us too. If we knew somebody that we just had such confidence and knew how they lived, knew, like it says, that Job was eyes to the blind and legs to the lame. He took care of the poor. I mean, he was such a wonderful man. He loved God. He got up and prayed and sacrificed for his children. Every day. I mean, he was just the man after God. And to look at that, then these guys are probably thinking, man, we thought Job was the top of the rung. We, there must be something we didn't see. That's what they're thinking. That's the natural man thinking that. <clears throat> but Zophar's not being too hard on him as far as just, just writing him off. He's basically, actually Zophar's telling us how good God is, really, in a roundabout way. He's saying, you need to repent because if you repent... 
God will step right in and fix everything right back up. I mean, he had these guys got good theology. They know who God is. They know how He works. The only problem they're the only problem they're having is they're missing what's going on here, and that's what we got to be careful with. And he said, uh, "You would lie down, you would not be afraid. Yes, you would have. Uh, you, uh, yes, many would court your favor, but the eyes of the wicked shall will fall, and they shall not escape in their hope, loss of life." Now, listen to Job. This is, Job's a human too, but I like this. I like what he says here. He says, then Job answered and said, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. <clears throat> we say that a little different in our culture, right? Well, you must be the man and you know it all and we don't know nothing, right? That's kind of what he's saying here. <clears throat> but he says, but I have understanding as well as you. I am not in fear to you indeed. Who goes not, uh, indeed, who does not know such things as these? So he's saying, I know what you're saying. The, the, the statements they're making about God are right and true. But it just doesn't apply in Job's situation here. He said, I am one mocked by his friends who called on God and he answered him. They just, the just and the blameless who is ridiculed, a lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. It is made ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers prosper, and those who provoke God are secure in what, in what God provides by His hand. But now ask the beasts, and will they teach you, and the birds of the air, and will they tell you, or speak to the earth, and will it teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you. These guys, are they're smart. They, they know science. They know creation. And again, let me say to you, the Bible's not been put together at this time. It's later. Moses and those guys and Samuel and all of them, they start putting all the Bible together. Moses gets all the information from God back from the garden all the way up to his time. Job's a contemporary somewhere around Abraham before any of the Bible's written down. And this is the oldest written book that we know about. It's not the oldest information, but it's the oldest written because Moses gives us older information once God starts using him to write things down. So these, their, their understanding to me is simply amazing because I think about my life and how much time I've devoted to this book here and how much it's helped me and how much it's taught me and the things that I've learned. And I'm thinking, man, I'd be lost without this. Maybe literally and figuratively. And to know that, but, but see, but in the back of my mind, and you, we all have a knower, right? You have a knower. In the back of my knower, I know that if I'd have been alive when none of this was pinned down, that God would have shown Himself to me too. He's that kind of God. But He didn't just show these guys Himself and say, here's a couple of rocks, go kill you a deer and get some clothes and rub these rocks together and I'll teach you how to talk later. That's how the world explains man. Man was created on the highest run. Everybody says what the preacher thinks. I think Adam might have used his whole brain before he fell. We don't use very little, and some of us use less, I'm just saying, than what the average is. You can see that in the culture, right? I mean, <clears throat> but you think about how smart Adam had to be to name all the animals, right? I mean... When you start thinking about how he gave and how that worked, I mean, a pig really does look like a pig, don't it? He, that's a good, good one, Adam. You called that right, right? Uh, Bob Dylan wrote an old song about Adam naming all the animals, right? Uh, and he talked about that. He, he names all, a bunch of the animals and gives a little funny riddle with them. Uh, come across this animal, uh, leaving a muddy trail, a real dirty face and a curly tail. Wasn't too small and wasn't too big. I think I'll call it a pig. Whatever he used to name these animals, his intelligence was probably supreme. My cousin, who is an electrician and house builder and all that, he said he's mad at Adam for falling in the garden. He said because he probably could have plumbed something the first try. He said, and we have to go the hardware ten times to get that plumbing job right so uh, that his intelligence was probably super, uh, super natural. Plus, he walked and talked with God. 
He didn't come out of a pond off of an amoeba that had a wart, a fish that had a wart on its eye. I'm getting all that mixed up. You know what I'm coming from and just crawl out and, and, and not be able to talk. Ooh, ooh. He had a relationship with his creator who gave him a mouth and a tongue and spoke with him. And I believe he gave him life every day. Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and life. I believe Adam and Eve were living off the, the words of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I believe Adam and Eve were living off the words that God spoke into their life every day. That's how they were being sustained. And so he, these guys are not dummies. I'm so impressed with their understanding. And we saw a little bit of that understanding about the heavenlies. And we're going to see some more of that here from Job too when he talks about this. He says, uh, the beast, the fish, all these guys, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? He, you know what he's saying? He's saying that even the animals know. And we know that's true. Because Paul said creation is groaning for redemption. And that donkey could see the angel and the dumb prophet couldn't see it. Right? Who's the real dummy? The donkey or the prophet? God, and God spoke to that fish and that fish just come through and swallowed Jonah. At the, that fish was programmed by God. Creation knows and Job knows that creation knows. And he says, in whose hand is the life of every living thing? See, they know who God is. And the breath of all mankind does not the ear test words and the mouth taste its food. Wisdom is with aged men and the length of days uh, and, and with length of days understanding. With him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. If he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. Right? If God shuts a door, no man can open it. If God opens a door, no man can close it. We need to remember that. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. He knew about the flood. See, he didn't, see what he said? It overwhelms the earth. He knew about the flood. This was all passed down to them. With him are strength and prudence, and deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away plundered and makes fools of judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their waists with a belt. He pleads princes away. He leads princes away, plundered, over, overthrows them. Man, I get so much strength from this kind of stuff right here because when I look outside and think this, this is insane how the world has got. I just get reminded that my God is in control, and Russia's not doing nothing that God has not in His plan. China's not doing nothing that God hasn't seen. America's not doing nothing. God's got everything in the bookends of His shelf. He's in control. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last that was and is and is to come. Somebody give Him praise. I draw strength from these kinds of things in our Bible because it reminds us that our God is in charge. No matter how bad things look out in the world, our God is still in charge. He pours contempt on princes. He disarms... He, let me back up. He leads princes to plunder. Verse 20. He deprives the trusted ones of speech, takes away the discernment of elders. He pours contempt on princes, disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of darkness. He brings the shadow of death to light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He's in charge. The Bible says he's the one that brings kings up and brings them down. The Bible says the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. God, blessed is the, the nation whose God is the God of Jacob. He says he enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in the pathless wilderness. Do you know one of the worst things that could happen to somebody is for God to take their sanity? We saw that with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel walks out and he starts taking credit for everything instead of giving it to God. And he says, look what I, 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 right? And the next thing we know, he's driven out, his understanding's taken from him, and he walks, he's like an animal for seven years. The Bible says his, his fingernails grew like bird's claws. And then his understanding returned, and then he started praising God. He got the message. Sometimes God allows us if God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to go through that to save his soul, what's wrong with that? 
See, we don't see the big picture, right? A lot of times parents don't see the big picture when the coach is driving an athlete. That's my son. Don't, don't make him run that much. Don't make him lift those weights too much. Because they don't see the whole picture. Somebody's got to see the whole picture. And there is no victory, no Nike, without sacrifice in anything. No vic- victory, no Nike. I started to combine those words, no Vicky. No victory or no Nike without sacrifice. It takes sacrifice. And the first place you and I ought to sacrifice is for the Lord. That should be the first place we sacrifice. Uh, He says, He takes away their understanding. He makes them wander in pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light. He makes them stagger like a drunken man. Behold, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard it and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not in fear to you, but I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. But you forgers of lies, you are all worthless physicians. He's swinging back, ain't he? said, your worthless physician, oh, that you would be silent and it would be your wisdom. Now hear my reasoning and, and heed the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for Him? Will you show partiality for Him? Will you contend for God? Will, he, will it be well when He searches you out? That's why I said when we had all those rights in our country the last three years, and they kept saying, we want justice. I said, I said, they don't know what they're asking for. Because when true justice, like we got in that prophecy, when true justice shows up, true justice will say, which one of you have no sin? You throw the first stone. That's what true justice would say. And then he says, he says, you guys are worthless physicians. Uh, these show parts, how are you going to contend? Or can you mock him as one mocks a man? Will it be well when he searches you out? Or can you mock him as one who mocks a man? He will surely rebuke you if you secretly show partiality. Will not his excellence make you afraid and dread of him fall upon you? Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Hold your peace with me and let me speak. Then let come on me what may. Why do I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now, I want to take you somewhere else in just a moment. We'll come back to here if we get time. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If you've never heard me say this before, then you're going to hear it now. You and I should have made up our mind that we're not going to quit on God yesterday. You don't wait to see what all is going to happen to decide if you're going to stick it out. Basically, that's what Job's saying there. I done made up my mind. I'm not, I'm not walking. I'm not going away from God. I'm not getting estranged from God. Even though I'm not hearing anything and I can't figure this out. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Are you there? That's where we all need to be. We all need to be in that spot where we decided yesterday that we're not going to turn back. We're not going to quit. Now, Job's dealing with a lot of trouble. He, he can't figure it out. I'm going to take you to a guy in Psalm 73. Let's go to Psalm 73. Let me show you something here that will help all of us, I think, as we have our own battles and journeys and conflicts and seasons, uh, trials, and our faith being increased by God. This is one of the guys that worked along with David, um, Asaph. And he gives us some understanding here. He says, uh, truly God is good to Israel. And that would be all of us uh, that follow him, believe, to such as are of a pure heart. But as for me, listen to what he's saying. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Have you been there? Have you found yourself there? Almost slipped. For I was envious of the boastful. 
when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It's all those people that don't really give a hoot about God or His house. And they seem to be doing okay and I'm the one fighting all the battles. Now, you may have not said that out loud. But you've probably thought that. Or you may have not even dwelled on it. You may have not let it set in. But I'll guarantee you the enemy's through that through your mind at some point in your life. Here I am trying to do the right thing and I'm getting my block knocked off and they don't, they don't even give a hoot about God and everything's just fine for them. That's what he's feeling. He's feeling that. He says, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. That's kind of Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible said he kept alive who he wanted to and put down who he wanted to. They are not in trouble as other men, are not plagued like other men. Everything goes good for them, seems to be. They are, therefore, pride serves as their necklace, violence covers them. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. They're uh, proud and arrogant. They, are, they feel secure in what they've accomplished. They don't give God any credit. Therefore His people return here. Waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? There are, I would say, the large majority of people on this earth don't even give a thought of having an answer to God someday. Think about that. I'd say... And I don't think it's always been that way. We were talking in a study <clears throat> yesterday that uh, when I was growing up, everybody respected the Bible. They, they may not lived it. And if you invited somebody that didn't go to church or didn't care about going to church, most of them would have said to you, I know I need to be there, but I just ain't ready. Whatever their excuse was. But now, I want you to think about this. Now we live in a culture where the majority of the people out here, if you said the Bible says that, a lot of them would say, I don't care what the Bible says. They don't believe it's God's Word. They don't believe they're going to be judged by it someday. I mean, that's where we're at in our culture. You know, you could. it was a lot easier to witness when everybody in the culture, even though they didn't serve God, they still said, well, we know the Bible's God's Word and we know we need to go to His house, but we just ain't ready or whatever, right? It's not like that anymore. You, you know, when you go try, when you had that, that, when everybody used to use the same plumb line, now they don't. Now, so look what else he says. Uh, he says... Uh, Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. <clears throat> now Job's probably feeling some of this, right? He's probably thinking, my goodness, I have done everything I can to help others and to serve God and Man, I am getting destroyed. <laughs> and those other people are just going right on with life. They left for vacation today and everything's good. I, you don't know, but all that stuff, he's a man like us and everything going. He said, if I'd said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. But his eyes are focused on the here and now, right? He's thinking about how well they're doing here and now. <coughs> but look what he says. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. Now that's why Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's why. Because he understands the end. We'll see that later in a bigger way in this book, Job. He said, I went to the sanctuary. Let me tell you what was going on. Everybody, even when the Bible was being written and passed around, it wasn't being passed around individually. 
He went to God's house to hear God's Word and be reminded of who God is, right? And how this thing works itself out. And that's what he's telling us here. He went to the sanctuary of God. He went where the Word was proclaimed. He went where God's presence was at. And he said, then I was reminded, then I understood therein. You've got to keep in mind, especially in the world we're living in, you've got to keep in mind that what you're going through now is worth it. There ain't nothing worth turning back for. Because there's an end to all this. And we understand that we will be judged by this someday. Look what he says. He says, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, you, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. In other words, he's saying, I was, that was horrible how I was thinking and how I was drifting. Because I knew. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. These people understand resurrection. They understand going to heaven. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh, now this is the same kind of language Job is using. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's it, folks. You may not get everything you want in this life. Probably we won't. But it's probably true that we don't need everything we want, right? We, as we raise children, we've seen that play out, right? You may not. But your portion, if your portion is the Lord, you've got the greatest thing you'll ever get in this life. And that's what will carry you to the next life. You're going to spend a little time here. I think... Uh, Life expectancy's dropped a little bit in the last three or four years, but we're still in the 70s somewhere. You're going to spend a little time here, and you know everybody probably that I'm looking at, with a few exceptions, you know that life really is a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. And when you get out of high school, it's like being shot out of a cannon, ain't it? They just turn you loose and you're gone. Blasting through the space. You turn around and they're calling you or sending you a text saying, we got a 40-year high school reunion coming up. You know, What? You got the wrong guy. You sent that to the wrong person. And he says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish you have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. We used to try to be very thorough, and they have to do this at the prisons too, I think. Be very thorough when somebody was going to hire into the coal mines. Tell them what they were in for. Probably like... Policemen, firemen, a lot of jobs. You, you have to tell them so they don't get caught off guard. Uh, you have to be very thorough. Let them know what's going on so that they're not caught off guard. Right? And the psalmist, he's telling us that God is his portion. He's his heart. And how, how did he end that here in Psalm 73? He says... Uh, but it's good for me, for I put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. Know Him. Know who He is. That way when you get in a tough time, your focus will stay on Him and what He's doing and not get caught up in all this stuff around you. You're just passing through here. I'm just passing through here. Do not get caught up in this world. 
You're just passing through. And God's got a plan for your life. You don't get to pick the journey. He picks it for you. And He takes us in places to increase our faith and to make us more like Him. Because the world's better off when a man or a woman is allowing God and the Holy Spirit to conform them into the image of Christ. That's when my wife's better off with me. That's when you're better off when your pastor is continually allowing God to work in his life. I've not arrived. I'm still on my journey. And uh, evidently, they didn't, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit didn't like what they saw. So they raised me up out there in Texas and said, you got more, we got more work to do on you. We don't want you up here yet. <laughs> so just know that God's got you. He does, you may not hear His voice sometimes. You may be in a moment where you think, I wish He'd say something. Just be like Job. Have a made-up mind. You're not going to quit. And you decided that yesterday. Father, we thank you for this time we had together. We thank you for your word. We pray for those people in Hawaii, Lord, that are facing all that trouble. We pray that you'll use that season to draw some of them to you that are, that are lost. And we pray that your hand of protection will be upon grace and and those that know you. We just ask for your mercy for our, those people there, Lord. We pray for the lost. God, We help us not to forget how many people around us are lost. They're blind spiritually. They need to be born again. And use us in some way to plant and water. We know you're the one that has to give the increase, but you said we are the ones that plant and water. Help us to be intentional about reaching others for you. In Jesus' name, everybody say it.